Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Idea Roastery with myself, Jason, and Herman. Sorry that it's been a while since we posted last. Uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge finding a time that works for the both of us, uh, but we're back on track. Herman is back in Cape Town, and hopefully you enjoy this uh, episode. We'll be talking about Mars, some of the reasons why we should be going, some that we shouldn't, and a couple of other topics around there. So hopefully you enjoy this uh, episode of our podcast. What was it that uh, made you want to talk about uh, this particular topic? So I I have been reading a lot of science fiction books recently, right? Um, some of them dip into science fantasy, uh, and then some of them are deep science fiction. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Xin Liu, and I I know I'm not pronouncing that. Ah, I'm reading I'm re- I'm reading Three Body Problem right now. Yeah, yeah, no, Three Body Problem, and then the the Dark Forest and the third one. I I finished them this year absolutely incredible deep science fiction books and also like gives you a uh, look inside of um i don't want to say uh chinese culture but like chinese literature uh which is fascinating and then i also read and this is more science fiction science fantasy is uh red the red rising it's not a trilogy there's six books um fantastic sort of space opera and i thoroughly enjoyed that but as you know, we're we're kind of on the on the precipice of being solar system gal- uh, sorry solar system civilization. There's talk about setting up a uh, human manned base on Mars, a permanent base on Mars, as well as China talking about uh, setting up a moon base. And these are all very interesting concepts. And I just wanted to to chat with you about them. Cool. What do you find? What do you find most inspiring about uh, these these uh, I would say journeys that are trying to be had? Well, so so maybe inspiring is the wrong the wrong word. I I, I like the the idea that we're exploring, right? Um, I think that you know the more places that we can go and poke, the more we understand about the nature of of the reality that we find ourselves in and i I mean reality in in a scientific sense not a philosophical sense like hey what is consciousness i'm like more talking about you know what is what is the universe and how did we find ourselves here and i think uh, in in so doing we will further our understanding of things that are you know really useful to us in the same way that let's take for instance war really advances technology for the civilizations that are involved in that conflict exploration has the same effect now if we ignore for a second the travesty of uh colonialization the act of european superpowers of the time going to the the new world and both bringing back resources but also having to make that journey and set up you know the, there's a lot of loaded words over here uh, their form of civilization in these in these places it brought with it so much so much learning and so much prosperity for those superpowers. So, you know, assuming that there aren't any Martians, 
I think that this could be a very, <laughs> a lot more ethical of a colonial mission to, um, to, to learn about, you know, the universe and to potentially enrich people of earth. I guess the question that most people ask in, in this topic is that, is it necessary, right? Um, when we talk about like sort of the colonialism in terms of the, the world, <laughs> the earth story, uh, I think people move for different reasons, right? They like move to get away from certain regimes. They move uh, to yeah, explore and conquer new, new territories for the use of whatever like resources and, you know, a certain, I guess, uh adventurous spirit but when it comes to space uh travel um and space colonization do we think it's a, a necessary topic is it something that we should be spending time on so i this is actually fairly interesting is that i there, there's this perception that the um that we we want to go and we want to live on mars because mars seems neat or we want to go and live on i don't know io because io seems neat i think that you know the nice thing about earth is that we can survive here right <laughs> and so like as an example do you want to do you want to go and live in the middle of the sahara desert well i mean survive right i guess survive is the better word yes i mean it depends right because i think survive can mean something different today than it might mean in say you know 10 20 years time uh if you look at like the the climate story that's going that's going on uh you know it might get to a point where we do have you know parts of the world that are uninhabitable in the same sense as the sahara um and so in some cases like i would want to know how to live in the sahara but i won't want to be forced to do that if that's if that's the so this this tends to be the narrative over here right and it's popularized by movies like uh, don't look up which was a fantastic movie by the way um but it it had this whole thing where it's like oh the billionaires are going to go and live on another planet but actually no they're they're not the fact of the matter is that even if the worst case scenario comes uh, like happens right and i'm talking you know climate change is mild compared to the worst things that we can do we can we can start a nuclear war right and we can decimate the habitable landmass we can create a nuclear winter we can turn the entire surface of earth into a radioactive wasteland and it will still be more habitable than mars right and so the idea of like wanting to go and live on mars as an alternative to living on earth i think is misguided it's like if you want to go and live on mars what you can do is you can instead just go and uh, create a bunker anywhere in the world and then just try and live there right and it will be the same experience actually it'll be it'll be a better experience because you won't have like muscle wasting due to a lower gravity right is like mars is you know it's it's a it's an oven at night. Sorry, it's an oven during the day, and it's a freezer at night, and there's no atmosphere, and everything will kill you if anything stops working for any period of time. Um, and so I, I I think that this common perception that it's like, hey, we're gonna go and live on Mars because we're going to escape a planet that is being destroyed, is as soon as anyone gives it any modicum of thought it's like oh wait uh, actually mars is 
is pretty terrible and people are like oh but overpopulation of earth it's like actually you know again there's the sahara desert it's a huge huge desert that has got you know very little in it but but sand and heat and it's still you know it does have it does have gravity <laughs> <laughs> and it does have gravity how nice is that um and yeah i think the nice thing about a bunker is that you can just uh you know if you if you realize that it's not for you you can actually just like open it up and, like yeah you're like uh this was a bad idea crawl out of there <laughs> and, and go back and have your like you know smoothie and stuff right <laughs> you know at the local at the local shops uh i, th- I think yeah like it, i think what's interesting is like thinking about i guess the first part is just like the technological part right like it's like just getting there getting spaceships robots um all of these kind of things to get to mars uh, i like the idea of that i think that's like a cool experiment but i think it it it's almost like inevitable because it, you you think about these like the first man mission to mars right we, we've had people go to the moon it seems like a logical next step the, the the problem is that you don't you don't have those like giving up right so it, it does draw into question you know like what what do humans need to survive and almost in a sense of like minimalism like what is the minimum required uh you know subset of things that are required to sustain life which i think is also quite an interesting question that i wouldn't mind answering but not necessarily having to endure myself right yeah and and i think i think but you know uh, uh we'll talk about the the how now um but if you think about it in terms of the why um in the same for the same it's it's for the same reason that we have people in the antarctic right is people aren't in the antarctic because it's dope to live there it's actually very difficult to live there and people you know very regularly develop severe alcoholism because there's no light for you know however many days at a time etc etc but we're there for to to research it to figure out more about our our earth and our planet and drill ice cores and stuff like that Um, but also to see if there's like anything interesting happening over there so in the same way that that BP and Axon did seismic surveying in the Sahara Desert back in the 60s and 70s. Um, and this actually went through, you know, the the Middle East and everything. And they're, they're looking for resources, they're looking to see if there's anything that's of use. And if you think about crossing the desert in terms of, you know, technology that we had, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, um, it's a it's a big undertaking. Right. Or even crossing the oceans, which are arguably giant deserts. Like that's a big undertaking. Our, our ships have just become a bit more sophisticated. Um, but in many cases, it was worth it. I mean, like the fact that the largest oil reserve in the world is in the middle of the desert in Saudi Arabia, right, means that going and, you know, figuring out if there's anything interesting here on this, you know, barren stretch of, of sand, um, was actually a very useful thing now you know we don't like like fossil fuels anymore but we can honestly say that fossil fuels fuels are what built industrialized society that that technology piece is also quite interesting because i think like we look at space travel um and what can happen is 
well, we, we, we went to the moon, right? We have, well, I say mm-hmm. we, I mean, America or like, you know, a couple of, con- like a small subset of countries. I don't think South Africa has quite had a, a moon mission yet. <laughs> um, but w- we seem to have like lost that ability. And I think it's quite uh, almost like a bit of a shame that they closed down those like shuttle programs and all of that. And if you think about when that happened, it was like, you know, almost like a, you know, a generation ago, right? So we're getting to that point where there's, you know, only these old timers who actually know how to get that thing into space, right? And do all of those maneuvers. And I think we've kind of like lost that ability. And what what I like about the technology side is that we're kind of like relearning how to do this thing. Um, maybe it's a, you know, it's a, a little bit more of a harder challenge than the moon, right? But it's almost, I think, getting us back on track in terms of like the type of ambition that we're, you know, cultivating here on earth. And I think that's also like a, maybe a more of a social side that I, that I think we can talk about a little bit later time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what happened over there with, with the space program is that, you know, at the time the, the United States was just trying to show the Soviets that they're better at yeah. doing things than them. Um, so, so yeah, we can get this piece of metal higher than yours. <laughs> exactly. I, I believe that there was even a uh, there was even a plan to nuke the moon if the Soviets won the space race, just to kind of show them that it's like, hey, if you uh, if you, you can get there, but we can destroy it, or you know, whatever whatever was going through their minds at the time. But one of the things that that this whole space exploration thing did for us back in the 60s and 70s is we realized hey you know what's really useful is having satellites having things that are in low earth orbit that allow us to do things like television and uh gps and all these super super useful technologies that we use on a day-to-day basis that's that is tech that was developed during the space race so i'm like happy to do space race type stuff literally just for the purpose of furthering our technology and so let's take for instance uh going and setting up a a base on mars uh for scientific research for all that stuff is in so doing we're going to learn a lot about human physiology uh first of all and you know maybe we'll stumble upon some some really neat uh resources i am you know, much more for like meteorite mining than I am for terrestrial mining, because I kind of feel like the earth is really good at sustaining human life. And I think we should focus on it doing that, as opposed to, you know, if we have other options for extracting resources, we should do it. But like, what what do you what do you think? What do you think about like going to Mars? So, um, uh, almost like yeah so I, I like i like the idea but i think the the thing that's interesting to think about is that does humanity require these really ambitious projects to develop these kind of offshoot technologies right because i, I think i think we do need to have like these large projects and maybe at some point we must try and do the other side of the, the story and try and come up with a case because i feel like we're both on the same page in terms of like being for it I think having like large ambitious projects kind of give you milestones that you can work towards. And I think all of the kind of offshoots that I can think of in terms of a Mars mission would be beneficial to humanity. Um, and 
not necessarily speaking out against the or against or for the founder of said uh, person who's trying to accomplish this. <laughs> but I think like first of like one of the the main ones is just it's a heck of a long journey, right? It's gonna take at least a couple of months just to get there, right? Humans aren't built for space travel. Yeah, for space travel. But then you've got like power concerns, like you need to have energy and solar panels do work, but you want to have them really efficient. Then you want to land and then you want to have, you know, as you said, like a human habitat. You need to be able to, you know, have enough food either like prepared for you, um, but also you need to be able to have some way to grow crops. So for a certain extent, we'll be able to figure out, oh, what is the sort of harshest environment that you can grow a potato? And maybe we can find places on earth that can grow a potato in that same environment. Maybe the Sahara Desert, it seems to be coming up quite a lot. Um, and all of these kind of like offshoot technologies, I think, like will benefit people, but it, it all starts with that kind of like one mission. And it, it's, some would say that like the whole like clean energy, like, you know, renewable energy, you know, ESG kind of stuff, like also is kind of like a mission in the same sense is that all of these technologies are going to come out in aid of that mission. Uh, so I'm quite, quite for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as an example over here, it's like, there's, there's generally um, another common uh, perception of space travel is like, why are we trying to go into space when there are people who do not have energy security or do not have food security here on earth? And the the answer to that is actually like, well, firstly, getting to space is easier than energy security to all people on Earth. Um, the 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 cost of uh, and the co the cost and logistics of getting energy security to everyone on Earth is way way more than the you know handful of billions of dollars that are spent on the space program. And yes, those billions of dollars could be used very well in in getting energy security to some people. Um, but there is an argument to be made that, uh, here's an example, a battery chemistry that was developed by NASA that powers the Mar the Mars rover, it powers a whole bunch of other, um, uh, I think it powers Voyager and stuff. And I forget the exact chemistry, but it's like a compressed uh, hydrogen uh, fuel or a compressed hydrogen cell. And I might be wrong over there. But um, it turns out that once we figured out how to make parts of it a bit cheaper, it's actually going to transfer well to being used for grid energy storage on, on Earth, right? And the reason for this is that it has incredibly long cycle life. So whereas lithium-ion batteries start degrading between 2 and 10 years, uh, or they, they start degrading immediately, but it's only really... A, a bad thing after two to 10 years um, from production, these things can theoretically just carry on in perpetuity, which is why we use them on something like the Mars Rover, which is never going to, you know, have its battery replaced. Um, and that's great for grid storage. And so this is, you know, another example of how like, hey, we developed this to, to put on rovers that go to Mars. Um, but theoretically, it's going to uh, help improve the energy security of people on Earth. That isn't to say that that's a blanket statement. I think in in many cases, the idea of you know going and exploring the further reaches reaches of the solar system are also just human curiosity. 
And I think that that in, in and of itself is actually a fairly important component is like when European settlers found the new, the new world. And again, you know, lots of terrible things happened over there, but it was an exploration thing, but it was also a profit seeking thing. It's like, Hey, there might be gold here. And it turns out there was, there was a lot of gold. Yeah. So, so there's two points there, right? Uh, the first one is, yes, I think we live in an age um, that's kind of a bit meh when it comes to like like ambitious things, right? I think we, we it feels like sometimes that the world's gotten to like this rut. Like we were, we had like the industrial revolution, like lots of things were built. The wars happened. Okay, they weren't the greatest, but like we got jet engines and we got all of this like sort of remarkable technology that came out of it. And it was all kind of like, I guess what you call atomware or like, you know, hardware stuff that was built. Right. And then this like internet age started and now everyone's just building like stuff that runs on your computer. And I think those are kind of like, you know, I guess maybe being <laughs> involved in it a lot more, you're just like, Oh, it's just a, another app that yeah. like helps you rank, you know, like coffee shops in your area. It's, you know, it's just like another, you know, form of like, how do I, you know, extract yeah. money from like rentees and give it to renters. Right. And so I think there's like a, it's almost like we've lost that ability to have ambitious projects and almost linking to our previous episode where we talked about like the adventurous spirit. I feel like people are like less adventurous and they, you know, just, you know, sticking within this like digital world and we like very digitized like NFTs, all of this kind of stuff. And so having this, like, why don't we just like go to this like far off like place and see if we can get there. Um, I think that's something that we need to cultivate more. And I think it gives people a lot of like inspiration that, hey, maybe I shouldn't become a software developer and I should start like studying physics and stuff so I can come up with a new propulsion engine that's going to like, you know, change the world and change like transportation and all of those good things. Yes. Speaking of propulsion engines, I mean, like ionic drives are what are used for, you know, the newer generation of space probes um, because they're super, super energy efficient. And there are now projects at uh, MIT to try and, create ionic drive in atmosphere um, vehicles, uh, which, you know, awesome. It, it might mean that we can electrify aviation at some point. Maybe we'll see. Um, but I, I completely agree with you over there. And I think I, I saw a meme a few years ago that said something along the lines of um, born too late to explore the world, born too early to explore the the solar system yeah exactly um, but you know who knows maybe maybe we will actually not be born too early to explore the solar system yeah. so so what I, I read this uh, book called skunk works right and it's about like the, the the sort of story of lockheed martin and how they using like very small amounts of money they were able to do very remarkable things in terms of you know building some of the the sort of leading stealth fighters for you know multiple decades on budgets of what is probably about a couple of million dollars, right? Which is absolutely insane in terms of like getting stuff done and actually building stuff. And in any sort of interview I see when I hear people talk about like the kind of culture that SpaceX has and, and the culture that these kind of people have, it's like this real like engineering prowess and like this is going to happen and, you know, super motivated. And I think that kind of thing 
it it's very hard to find in anything that isn't sort of a revolutionary kind on the of fringe yeah. on the fringe kind of idea you like look at all the like engineers who are working on the tokamaks and you know even when CERN was being built it's just like it's a lot of stuff you need to have like the, the sort of systems around it right so you need to have good universities to pump out those engineers who are going to be able to work on this project for like you know a good couple of decades and so i think it does overall like lead to you know rather you know good outcomes on the other side yeah absolutely i mean like nasa is uh is the reason that we can do accurate climate modeling right it, I mean, that's that's a really that's a really important thing that we need in order to you know curb the problems that we've created as well. Yeah, but there was a second point that you that you raise uh, and that you raised earlier, and the point is that um, there's two kind of modes of operation, right? Uh, we've got the kind of SpaceX, we've got the Blue Origins, we've got the private companies, and then we've got the NASA's, we've got the European Space Agencies the Japanese space agency or whatever that's called. Uh, we've got this sort of private versus public battle that goes on. Um, similar to the, the skunk work story is like, that was a private company. They were able to sort of plow resources into that. Although, you know, publicly funded to a certain degree, where do you sit in terms of what the correct sort of economic model should be for these? Cause even with these like things, okay, yeah, we're going to come up with like, you know, robots that can, you know, autonomously set up a base on Mars or, you know, like these habitat systems or new ways of creating oxygen out of like, you know, very few particles. If it's owned by a private company, like, is there like a risk there? And should it become like more of a public yeah. thing? Yeah. So, so if we're talking about specifically colonization, the only thing that we can really look at is, you know, the history of colonization. Um, and we know that, <laughs> at least because there were other humans involved, um, both state and private colonization was awful, has an awful human rights record. I mean, like the British Empire did some terrible things. The Dutch East India Trading Company, which was a private entity, did some terrible things. Um, and in the end, when you have projects of this scale, the and I'm just talking about like historical colonization right now. Um, they both have a profit motive, right? The British Empire was expanding because it wanted to be more prosperous as an empire. And that's also what the Dutch East India Trading Company was. But now with, with regard to private versus public companies in the space race, I think that they serve different parts of the market. I think that, um, you know, uh, SpaceX is still figuring out how to, how like this is, going to make them incredibly profitable and popping all those satellites up into space is a good start. Uh, I think I feel that public companies or public uh, things like NASA uh, definitely do more research and development more broadly. They also hire a lot more people and they uh, they're also a bit more accountable for their actions. So whereas SpaceX can go and you know punch holes in the ionosphere, and people are like, oh, I don't know what's happening over there. Or their satellites uh, interfere with astronomy. They're like, well, it sucks for you. Whereas I think that um, public, public entities tend to have to be accountable for those kinds of actions. But that being said, it's like, if we take a look at the purpose of NASA, the purpose of NASA is to further our understanding of space. 
right? Or just, yeah, the universe. And that's awesome. But there's a secondary, there's a secondary economic function over there. And that is that when we send up a rocket into space, there's this perception that what we've done is we have taken, let's say it was a $20 billion project. We've taken $20 billion and we've burnt it and it's now gone. But that's not, that's not what's happened at all. The raw materials that have now been converted into a rocket have left the atmosphere, right? And they're not coming back or at least probably not coming back. But that's the only thing that's actually left Earth. We haven't burnt that money. We haven't burnt the rest of the resources involved. Instead, what's happened is that has employed people. It's gone into learning and idea generation. It's gone into research and development. It's gone into building infrastructure to support these kinds of projects. And that money goes back into the economy, into the hands of these engineers and the janitors and everything else that that you need to, to handle such a big operation. And that's a huge stimulation for the economy in the same way that like Dubai builds these mega projects, uh, you know, the Burj Khalifa or uh, the Palm Islands. Those are, they're not just uh, ego projects. And you could arguably say that in some ways, you know, uh, NASA is an ego project. What they do is they, they stimulate the economy to a massive extent. These, these, these mega projects are, are super important to you know improve education and uh, money dissemination inside of an economy and at least with with publicly funded ones is that's taxpayer money that's going back to taxpayers yeah and it, it also like tends to attract like talent and then there's a whole conversation about you know having really smart people working on smart problems i think those who are like really ambitious just want to work on ambitious things right like you, you've met that one one person in your life who's like really like passionate about something and really ambitious about like achieving like a really like absurd goal and they're just like sort of working at it because they've got the the both the knowledge and the skill sets to do that and so even if you i think even if you have that within private world it maybe maybe it shows people that it's possible at least to a certain extent. And then that would allow sort of governments to either sort of work with uh, those private companies in the way that SpaceX is delivering payloads to the International Space Station and, and those kind of things. And also to sort of form a platform out for other things, right? Like, you know, GPS systems, you mentioned like weather uh, monitoring systems, like you could have like a private company that just does the sort of delivery to space uh, kind of part and then the rest is all developed by you know a university uh, and you get all those good side effects i think yeah it, it makes a lot of sense in the in in the sort of final like sort of winding down of the podcast do we see any sort of negatives right is there any like is there any devil's advocate we can play or you know a strong man we can make against the idea of going to Mars. Yeah, and I think that there are there are truths to all of these criticisms, right? So let's take for instance the these these projects are extraordinarily expensive, right? And yes, they will further our understanding of science and technology, but also there are problems that we're experiencing on Earth that can be solved with money, right? So the climate crisis is 
one that is very difficult to solve, even if you have a lot of money. But something like plastic waste is something that is actually uh, much simpler to solve with money. So let's take, for instance, $20 billion goes into uh, doing a big space per, or a single space thing, right? You could take that $20 billion and you could go to all the heavily plastic produ uh, uh, polluting countries, uh, generally in Southeast Asia, your um, Philippines, Indonesia, uh, uh, Sri Lanka, et cetera, et cetera. And you could invest that money into building out uh, robust plastic infrastructure or plastic waste infrastructure. And I'm not talking about recycling. I'm literally talking about like building landfills and also making sure that everyone has a trash bin and that trucks come around and pick it up and drop it off, right? That is a good argument for not having a space program, but also I think you're going to have a very hard time. Uh, let's take, for instance, you're a United States citizen and you pay your taxes and then the government says, hey, listen, we're going to go and build trash infrastructure in Indonesia. Yeah, You're not going to be super amped about that. Whereas when they're like, hey, we're putting a giant telescope into outer space so we can like see the edges of the universe, right? That's like, oh yeah, my my tax dollars are going somewhere pretty neat. And so there, <laughs> I think that there are reasons to not do it, but I think that there are more reasons to do it. I think like there's probably like at least a little suspicion, you know, because I think one of the sort of drawbacks to space is that no one can actually see it or verify it necessarily. Not well, not the average person, right? Like, I mean, you've got like sort of amateur astronomers who can, you know, pinpoint where exactly on the moon the the lander is. <laughs> and so, I guess there's almost like a already a I would say defense uh, sort of mechanism that's in place, right? So the you know countries want to have you know at, at least some edge in terms of uh, intelligence, uh, in terms of a sort of defense strategy against you know people who want to you know send really large payloads full of nuclear waste to to their uh, countries so they probably do have like already got these programs and so this is kind of like a little bit of a piggybacking on top of it right i think also there's a the the visibility part is also part of it i think people probably just see it a lot more because it's you know the infamy of the the founder is quite uh you know notorious and so i think i think people just like think about it more and i think there are those those other big projects that are happening that are just you know like the geothermal stuff like the uh, plastic waste stuff like all of these kind of projects are happening it's just maybe not as well publicized or as uh sort of interesting to the reader kind of uh thing yeah i mean like actually uh, geothermal um geothermal energy uh is actually a huge research point for NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab because I I assume it has something to do with thermal imaging of the Earth or something. But yeah, it turns out that they do a lot of work on geothermal energy. Um, I mean, it probably could be like a it could probably be a form of like uh, you know energy generation on Mars, right? If it was you know because I mean one thing you could probably assume is although the surface is quite cold, it's probably you know, still got a core of some de degree, like maybe actually, I I don't know if that's the case. I think as soon as the planet starts getting smaller and not a, not a astro geo, uh, what geophysicist. Um, but I think that earth is fairly unique in that it has a hot molten core. And that's why we have a magnetic field. But 
I'm going to stop over there before uh, any physicist <laughs> sends us an angry email like, hey, you yeah. messed up. <laughs> so so the other, the other, the last thing, which is kind of a bit more on, on the joking side is that the reason we shouldn't be going to Mars is because we should be going to Venus instead, because I've read a few articles recently that there's like, you know, certain signs that show that there might be more interesting life on Venus. And it's, always been this kind of like you know gaseous uh planet that no one's really thought about going anywhere near um and in certain senses it might i mean not for like a human uh exploration point of view but it might be a more interesting uh sort of planet to visit in our in our sort of planetary neighborhood uh in terms of like revealing you know more about what is out there and what kind of types of life exist and so, yeah, the, like a downside would probably be like, we, we're just going the wrong direction that should maybe go more towards the center of the, the solar system. I don't know, man. I thought it was Uranus that was gaseous. <laughs>